if you feel provoked this morning, can I ask you to ask the Lord, is it me provoking you? Because if it is, that's okay. We're going to cover how you deal with that. But if it's the Lord provoking, you allow him to do that because the Holy Spirit likes to come and bring conviction. But in doing this, I'm not wanting to bruise or hurt. It is, I don't want us to walk around with our zips down. So yeah, we're going to kick off with, let's put up Matthew 5 verse 9. This is the title of my preach. And it is, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called the sons of God. And I love that. Being a son carries a lot of benefits. It carries inheritance. It carries belonging. It carries identity. It carries this responsibility um, from the Lord to us, to love for us, and to care for us. But sons require something of us as well, which is to submit to the ways of the Father. And out of that becomes, comes this blessing, this being the sons of God. And Peacemakers is a very interesting term. So most often we hear about peace with the UN, you know, so the UN has got their peacekeeping forces. And we always hear about the peacekeepers and we think the UN, their primarily their role is peacekeeping, but they've actually got three roles that they fulfill. The UN has got peacekeeping is their first kind of step in any conflict. Then they've got peacemaking and then they've got peace building. And, uh, just a quick little intro. So peacekeeping is Nanak and Salau are trying to get into it and have a bit of a Barney. I would step in. I'd be like, guys, can't smack each other in church. Okay. I'm fulfilling a peacekeeping role. There's no external conflict now. Guys aren't hitting each other. But there's not real peace. There's just no conflict. Peacemaking is then, I sit with you, I'm like, okay, guys, what is the issue? Why are you so offended? Why is there this division and strife in you? Let's deal with that. Let's get through it. Let's look at the conflict. We don't just pretend it's not there. I can't stand here forever keeping you from hitting each other. You've got to kind of figure that out. What is the conflict? What is the issue? Let's look at it, resolve it, find a way forward. And then peace building is the final block, which is what I've just done with you. Do with each other. Learn to handle conflict. Put in things in place so that I'm not always going to be here to be a peacekeeper. And so, so often in church, we become peacekeepers. We ignore conflicts. We ignore the difficult things. But it's not real peace. Because the minute we step out, our hearts are still there, full of what they're full of. And it's not true peace. It's false peace. It looks okay from the outside. And... We've been covering this idea in the last little while that we're one body, many parts. We use this beautiful picture of puzzle pieces. We're all these pieces of a puzzle that fit together. Each one of us as we're built into the family, reflecting the glory and the picture of God that we're meant to be um, his image on this earth, basically. And uh, there's this beautiful illustration of one body with many parts. And that's amazing. Um, you know, very handy little illustration. We've got these hands and these fingers and all these things that do bits of stuff and they're kind of quite beautifully made. Then you get this beautiful thing called gout, which uh, some of the older folk will know about. 
But that's when your body starts to actually form little crystals of some, I'm, okay, we've got some med students here, so I'm gonna get nailed now because I'm probably not gonna be medically correct here. But my understanding is that you get these little crystals that form in your joints and suddenly the bits of the body that are supposed to work together, there's friction and pain as they work. And suddenly what should be a beautiful hand doesn't want to do what it's supposed to do. And one of these little bits of gout that so often gets in and causes friction between us, it's another part of the body. This thing, the tongue. This is a big stress at all. This is not aimed at you. Um, it's aimed at all of us. Here we go. But... Um, yeah, man, how we speak to each other, the things we say to and about each other, how we deal with conflict, who we deal with our conflicts with. The Bible speaks so much about the tongue. And so much of Scripture is aimed at fighting for unity and for real peace. And our primary tool for settling and creating conflicts is our tongue. Some of our ladies, it's our eyes. You know how to give the... That look, like you don't need to say anything. Um, some of our guys have that thing done too. But the Bible says a lot of very interesting things about the tongue. So I'm going to rattle off just so you know that like the word speaks so much about our words and how we use them. Um, so these aren't on your list, so don't worry about them so loud. But Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Proverbs 11 verse 9 says, With their words the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge the righteous escape. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Proverbs 16.28, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 17.9, Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates. Close friends. This is my favorite one because it's the most applicable to me in my youth. The lips of a fool bring them strife and their mouths invite a beating. I once got told by a guy that my mouth is writing checks that my body can't cash. I love that. I was like, okay, I'm out. The mouths of a fool are their undoing and their lips are a snare to their very lives. These are all scriptures, man. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but, for, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. That is only a small sample of what the word says about our tongues and about the words that we say and how we say them. There are lots. But probably one of the sharpest scriptures on this thing comes from James 3, verse 3 to 12. And it says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Have you ever seen a horse bit? Like that whole massive, like, what does a horse weigh? Like 400 kilos or something. It's controlled by this tiny little piece of metal that sits in the back of its mouth here. And as you pull that, it steers the whole horse's head and the whole animal is controlled by this tiny little piece of metal. Or take ships as an example. 
Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Strong words, eh? All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear frigs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And it's this picture that what's in our hearts and what happens out of our mouths, what we say we believe and what we say, there's so often this big disconnect between the two. And there's some such harsh words about what that's like. It's like forest fires, like tongues being burned up in hell. Like this is how serious the Lord actually takes the words that we speak and how we speak them. In James 1 verse 26, it says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. All the belief in the world, all the doing the right things, all the worthless if we cannot control our tongues. And it's such a difficult thing to do. And especially in our modern day and age and culture, it's so easy just to slate someone We've got a bigger platform than we've ever had in how we speak and what we say. There's an irreverence that's crept in. No authority is above being cancelled or trashed. No position, no. Like we're just so quick to start fires. Um, when I was a kid, I, I loved fire. I loved fire. I had a problem. Um, I'm serious. I once, I used to like my favorite thing in the world was just to start a fault fire. I think I was just in awe of like how wild these things could get. And I remember the one day my younger brother and I, we went down to our local fault and, and we just started it. And it always started small for me. I never meant to kind of burn down everything. It would kind of escalate. And, um, I went and started a small little fire in a patch of grass. And we lived up in Mpumalanga. Like the felt, there was just bush everywhere. And in, in winter, it used to dry out. So we were summer rainfall, winter would come and it was just dry. Everything was dry and brown. Um, and we'd start playing with fire. And I remember the one day it, it burned and then it just got out of control and went down to our local flay area. And then it set the reeds on fire. And then it went into the golf course and set the golf course on fire. And it was this massive raging inferno. It was so hot, there were these trees that grew down in the flare and they were actually exploding. Like the trunk of the tree was exploding from the heat. And like my brother and I just stood there, we're like, we're dead. Like, what have we done? Fire brigade came, we bailed, hid in the house. Um, totally smelled like smoke, so my parents knew it was us. Um, 
But it was massive. I, I remember in the moment, like this little match, this little fire that I'd started just took root and just destroyed so much. And for us, how many of our own pain and wounds and offenses that we carry have been caused by words? Just careless words. This guy said that. Like for me, all my wounds can be traced back to words. And so these tongues are so powerful, both in their ability to build up, yes, but also to destroy. I know I'm laboring the point here, but it's, it's like we need to realize how much weight this carries. Like the word tells us that we're going to one day be judged for every idle word, every careless word that we've uttered. That's how seriously God takes this. And the problem is that it's not just our words. Like the, the Bible even says that it's not what goes into us that makes us impure. They're talking about eating unclean foods. Like the Jews had a lot of rules about food and what they could eat and what they couldn't. And eventually Jesus says, listen, what goes into you is not what makes you unclean. It's what comes out. And the reason for that, Matthew 12, 33, it says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man, evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. I didn't give that to you, Salas, I don't bother reading. So I've got a lot of scripture, so we're not reading it all because it'll take long. Um... So we get this idea that like what we say is so serious, it's so, it carries so much weight, we've got to be so careful. So then the question becomes, okay, all sounds very heavy, so what are we supposed to do? We know how not to speak, so how then should we live? So Colossians 3 verse 12 to 17 gives us some good tips here. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what I want to start with is in the first sentence there, it says that you are chosen, holy, and set apart. What I like about that is it's kind of telling you how we should live. So we covered holiness a little while ago. Holiness is this idea. Holiness is a word that defines God. It is the best definition for holiness is God. Utterly unique, set apart, different. So when you start thinking holy, chosen, set apart, think unlike everything the world is and does. Okay? And then it says that you need to clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. My clothes are a thing I put on. They're a thing I choose to define and to identify me. 
I love it. A while ago, one of the guys was saying, they were asking who leads this congregation. One of the guys was like the tall guy with Vans. I'm like, now I can never not wear Vans because how else are they going to know that I lead this congregation? You know, it's like, so I now clothe myself with Vans. So anyway, very bad analogy. Um, but the, yeah, even my shirt, I got a new shirt now just to make sure. Can't always see my shoes from the back. Um, my gospel chairs. So, but clothing, it's something I put on. I choose in the morning to wear these things. My natural default is nakedness, but I can't run around like that. It's weird. So I put on these other things. And it's not fake or artificial. It's, it's this is what I want to be, man. I want to be gentle, humble, kind, full of patience, full of compassion. So I have to train myself to put these things on. It doesn't make it fake. It's just, like the Bible says, you are holy, so be holy. It's like I am this thing, but I also have to be this thing. This is my default nature made in the image of God, but I've got to choose to walk in it, to put these things on. And it says, bear with each other. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has grievances against each other. This idea of bearing with one another is to carry each other's burdens, to carry even each other's offenses. This is kind of what we want to get in. How do we deal with conflict and offense in a church, in a family? Because we can't just pretend it's not there. That's peacekeeping. And we're called to be peacemakers, which means at times we've got to walk through conflict. But the difficult thing is that not every offense needs to be aired and dealt with. I know that sounds like a contradiction to what I've just been saying. But something I've so often realized, um, I'll tell you a bad joke. So this lady goes to the doctor. We're doing all the doctor analogies today. Lady goes to the doctor. She's like, doctor, desperately ill. Doctor says, what's wrong? She's like, it just, my body hurts all over. I'm just sore everywhere. The doctor's like, show me. He's like, well, if I touch myself here, I'm sore. It hurts on my shoulder. And then when I touch my hip, my hip's sore. That hurts. When I touch my knee, that hurts. Everywhere I touch is just sore. The doctor looks at her and says, ma'am, your finger's broken. That's why it hurts. Okay. Apologies for that. This is a bad joke, but it illustrates the principle so beautifully because so often I found in myself that the pain is actually me. My finger is sore. And so whenever I poke, it hurts. And I've often had this thing with other people. They say something and it just sets off something in me. And it's because I'm actually injured. I'm hurt in that area. And so like Aaron hasn't actually offended me, just... I am offended by him, but it's not him, it's me. And so very often, my first port of call when I'm offended, I'm like, Lord, is this them or is it me? Is my finger broken in this thing? Because if it is, I've got to deal with that. I've got to deal with my own heart and pain in this thing first. And often I find like, wow, that really is just me. And then I deal with that in my own heart and I ask the Lord for forgiveness. But I don't then go to Aaron and be like, bro, that thing you did, because it wasn't him, it was me. I, I, my own brokenness offended me. He was just the trigger. 
Hey, yeah. But in that case, it's, uh, why go to him? Because now just, I'm actually just causing him to carry something that's illegitimate, where he actually hasn't done anything wrong. Where I will go to him is if, in my own pain, I've sinned against him. If I've actually said something to someone else, or I've carried a bitterness or a anger or a resentment in my heart towards him, or I've really, like, you know, I've reacted badly, and in my heart I've sinned against him. In that case, I might go to him and say, Aaron, just want you, I actually want your forgiveness, man. I was carrying something towards you. There's nothing you did. It was my own brokenness. And in my heart, I sinned against you. And would you forgive me? Like, please, I'm sorry. And his default is probably going to be like, bro, what did I do? Can I tell you? If it was my own brokenness, I'll say, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to bring it up because it was an illegitimate thing. That's not the point. The point is I sinned against you, not the other way around. All I'm doing is saying, I carried this thing. Would you forgive me? And we cover that thing and we walk away. But in my youth, I remember also doing this. I would be a bit miff and totally my own brokenness. But also, we learn to put on the clothes of church. Put on my nice little church clothes, my vans. And I'd go up to my leader. I'd be like, or not even a leader, anyone, friend, whatever. I'd just be like, bro, I want to ask for your forgiveness. He's like, why? Like, well, you did this and this and this and this and these five things. And my heart was bad. And so would you, would you forgive me? And actually, that's a different thing. Because now what I'm trying to do is just, I'm airing my grievances. But it's not by putting on the clothes of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It is actually all my flesh. And what I'm doing is I'm choosing to air a grievance. But I'm dressing it up in nice, neat little church clothes. But in my heart, it's a different thing. I've done that so many times, man. I look back about it and I'm like, Lord, thankfully someone came and said, Adam, you flies down. Pull that thing up. And it was kindness to me. And I'm grateful. And the big thing for me, like, I used to have this thing with taxi drivers, which my wife knows well about. But I would, you know, I mean, taxis drive like taxis drive. It's one of those things, like, may never change the side of eternity. And, um, and I'd often have this thing, like, they'd cut me off, and I'd be like, oh, I feel like I've forgiven him, but, but he needs to know. So I'd often drive, and you do the look that, didn't use my words that time, but, like, but you, just, you give him that look that he knows you know, that he knows that he cut you off. And I'm like, I don't do anything, I don't say anything, but you need to know that you wronged me. And then the one day, Ali just, when your wife quotes scripture at you, you kind of left defenseless, but she just said to me, Adam, it is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. I just felt that, like, Lord, you, you, you judge me, my heart towards that taxi driver. And I had to, I started trying to brute force myself to overlook those kind of offenses. And then one day it hit me. Jesus overlooked every single offense of mine ever when he died on the cross and paid for them. And I was like, Lord, if you did that for me, that makes it so much easier 
for me to do it for others. And I remember thinking this one day, like imagine if you respond to the gospel. It's like a message goes out, hey, you're a sinner and Jesus has died for your sins and all you need to do is come and ask for forgiveness. Like that's how we land up here. We pray like, Jesus, would you forgive me for my sins? I believe you died on the cross and paid the price for them so that I could have eternal life. And we pray that beautiful prayer and then we respond and Jesus saves us and it's this epic moment. Imagine how long our service would be if Jesus was like, okay, we got a list. We're going to work through. So, Glad, you repented for that thing, but there's also this thing and that, and that thought and that taxi driver and that and that and that. Like, how long would that service be, man? Like the poor guy trying to lead you through the prayers, like asleep already. Um, but Jesus, in a moment, overlooked and forgave every single sin and transgression in my whole life, every offense I've ever committed against him. And the beauty is he was innocent. He did nothing wrong. And he carried the weight of my transgressions. And so with us, man, are we dealing with our own offenses in our own hearts first? And having done that, the word says love covers a multitude of sins. Is my love for you bigger than my grievance towards you? So that I can say, actually, you know what, this thing in the light of eternity, in the light of what Jesus has done, in the light of what he's called us to, to be one body altogether, is this even worth airing? Or can I deal with this in my own heart and move on? Because if it is just my own flesh, Aaron need never know once I've dealt with it in my own heart. We need to love like Jesus loves, man. He covered all shame, all embarrassment. His heart was always to preserve dignity. The other big one. It's going to use Aaron today because he's sitting right there. I've got an issue with Aaron. Okay. It's offended me. I'm like, Salah, you're a wise man. I want your perspective. So Aaron did these things, and this is what it made me feel in my heart. Like, I just want... I just want your perspective. Just speak. Like, what do you see? Do you think, should I address it? You know what I've just done? I planted a seed in his heart now. Now he's like, hang on. That's quite swack, Aaron. And he hasn't, now Aaron can't defend himself. He's not even in the conversation. All Salah's hearing is my own meat speaking. And I've planted something in his heart now that's going to cause potentially a division between him and Aaron. And then I go and I find Jesus and he convicts me and I'm like, thank you, Lord. And I deal with my offense. I'm like, okay, cool. Actually, that was just me. I don't ever have to talk to Aaron, but now there's this thing. Salah and Aaron. And Aaron doesn't even know, but Salah is carrying beef. Secondhand offense. It's a serious thing. And that thing is actually gossip. But we dress it up as concern. Dress it up as perspective. Puts on its nice little church clothes and walks off looking all spiritual. And actually, it's division and death. And you know, if it is just the finger that's injured, what do you do when your finger's sore? That thing hurts. Do you cut it off and chuck it away? No. 
I need this thing. Like, it's quite helpful to me. It's my nose picking finger. Like, I want this guy. Not really. I use this one. Um, but no, I've got to go and I've got to find out what the infection in this thing is. Why is it sore? Why is it broken? I need to splint it and care for it and look after it and bring it into health because it's a part of my body. I can't just get rid of it because it's Aina. Like, no, I've got to walk through the conflict that is my broken finger so that it would find healing and be joined back into me properly functioning. Can you put up that Colossians 15 to 16 again? Uh, 15 to 16 over there. Or 15 and 16. Colossians 3, 15 to 16. You've got it there. It's in that same passage we are. Go back, like, or forward. Another one. There we go. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, not your own flesh. The peace of Christ. The fact that you are forgiven. He who has been forgiven much forgives much. That's got to rule your hearts. His peace. Peace the way he does peace. Not just we're not going to talk about this. And please, like, don't hear what I'm not saying now. Like, I realize that the balance to not airing all your offenses is, oh, we're just going to cover this up and be strong and be brave and carry on for the sake of not rocking the boat. You're peacekeeping. That's false peace. When there is offense and it's legitimate, deal with it. Walk through it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Can you keep that there? Admonish. You know what that word is? Admonish is Aaron. You did something wrong, you need to be addressed. That's admonishment. So at times we do deal with conflict. We do have to address it. Admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I love that part. Don't admonish one another with psalms. Oh, Lord, please strike my enemies. Destroy them. Oh, righteous. No. The Bible is actually quite clear on how we deal, how we admonish, what we do in those circumstances. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. How beautiful it would be if Aaron and I have an issue and I go and address it with him. And I'm like, Aaron, firstly, before I even speak to him, I've looked into my own heart, said, Lord, is this me or is it him? There is always an element of me in it rising up. And I deal with that before I even go near him. Because when I talk to him, I'm after peace and I'm after unity. And my own flesh and my own offense and my own weakness will get in the way of that. And so I'll sit with God. And I'll be like, Lord, deal with my heart. Show me where this thing is. Show me what I'm not seeing. Help me to find peace in this thing. I've forgiven him before I've even spoken to him. And then I go to him. And I'm like, Aaron, man, this thing you did, I actually feel like you sinned against me in this area or you've 
sinned against the body or there's something, there's a wrong that's been done here. Man, like, can we talk about that and work our way through it? And if he sees it, he's like, whoa, Adam, you're right. I'm so sorry. Um, would you forgive me? I'm like, yeah, man, totally. We're cool. We find peace. I've been forgiven much, so I forgive him quickly. Salah's not even in the picture. Yay. Salah doesn't have to deal with anything now. He doesn't even know anything's happened. That's how we do it. But man, if I plant that seed in Salah, I will carry a judgment for that. If I cause him to stumble in his relationship with, with Aaron. What happens if Aaron doesn't listen? He's like, Adam, I don't see it. And I think you're talking rubbish. There's a remedy for that. Because in verse 16, it tells us, in verse 16, it tells us, <laughs> but it says, if they will not listen, take one or two others along. So I've spoken to Aaron now. And he's not actually listening to me, not hearing me. I'm not going to go and actually, for me, I probably won't go and get the guy who's my friend and would side with me anyway. I'll probably call in someone outside like Dion. Say, Dion, man, we've got this issue. We can't work it out. He's not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. We can't both be right. Like, will you come in and help us to mediate this thing? And if I'm wrong, I'll back down. But if he's wrong, he needs to know because he's potentially walking down with his fly down. Like, that's got to get addressed. And Dion comes with me, and we both go, and we say to Aaron, dude, actually, there's an issue here. And if he doesn't fold in that moment, if two guys come and talk to me, my default is going to be, I'm probably wrong here, and I'll back down very quickly. But Aaron's a stubborn, hard-headed young man. And he doesn't want to listen to me. And it's as if he refuses to listen to me then, then we would go to the church. Then we'd probably say, hey guys, now there's a massive issue. We're commanded to have unity and we can't find it. We've tried, we've addressed this thing. It's not working. At that point in time, we'd take it to the whole church. And if he really doesn't back down then, then it would be an issue of, well, now we amputate the finger. For the sake of the body. But man, we do everything to not get there. But the Bible is so prescriptive about how we handle offenses, what we say, how we say these things, how we deal with them, because above all, we're meant to have peace and unity. And these kind of things are like fires that burn through us. And we need to be addressing them directly with people. And the reason I'm preaching this that amongst us, it hasn't been happening. We've been doing it the way the world does it. But because part of a church, we dress it up in church clothes. And it looks like concern. It looks like perspective. But it's not. Final part of that passage, verse 17. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
we carry his name in the things we do and in the things we say. We carry, actually, Jesus' reputation. The amount of people who are offended with church and won't come to church, very often it's not because of Jesus. They don't have any big issue with him. They got an issue with someone who represented him. And we can actually affect his fame. I love that song of ours. Don't you want to make him famous? I do. But for the right reasons, man. I want his fame to be good. I want to represent him well. I want my character to represent something of the character of Jesus. And so for us in word and deed and how we deal with issues and offenses, like it is the one time where the circle is as small as it can possibly be. So that we would represent him well. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Aaron is God's gift to me. And I am God's gift to Aaron. And we are God's gift to each other in this place. Because that is how we all start looking more and more like him. As these puzzle pieces rub and shape each other. That would fit together perfectly in perfect unity and perfect peace. Representing actually our Father. And I'm grateful when Aaron shapes me. And when my character gets worked and when I see my own stuff and when he tells me to pull my zip up, I'm grateful. And, I mean, with him, I know his heart. His heart is not that he'd win an argument. His heart is that I would actually look good before Jesus and would look more like Jesus. And mine is the same towards him. You put up Matthew 5, 9 again. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Can we be a people who are peacemakers? Not just peacekeepers. Not just on the surface. But really in our hearts and then in our words, a people Pursuing real peace, not sowing division, not starting fires. Is that cool? Dion, is there anything you want to balance or? I was reading this. Um, um, So James is a very, in fact, uh, as you're saying that he's reading it himself. I'm going through it myself at the uh, the moment this morning. Uh, uh, This is the verse that I read this morning. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. So there's a sense, this is uh, James chapter 5, there's a sense of we live in the light of eternity. And the Lord's coming near purifies us, that he's coming, he's imminent, and may come at any time. And straight from that verse, verse 8, it goes to verse 9, in the light of eternity, in the light of the Lord coming soon and wanting to find a bride that is ready for him, that has purified herself for him, he says this. 
Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. And yeah, it's very interesting what he says. For look now, the Lord, sorry, for look, the judge is standing at the door. So there's a future, there's a present. And there's a sense that it's how we talk to one another, how we relate to one another in our hearts. What that is saying is we've got to check our hearts every time that when Jesus who judges our hearts, judges what's happening in our hearts, that there's a purity. I love that what you're actually saying is that our lives are lived out from our identity. We are loved. We are chosen. And it's from this place of, of understanding who we are and who we are amongst, who we are as a people and individually, that we relate to one another. And in a way, we, we want to be judged, but when the door's opened, if the Lord had to come into that, into our hearts, into the door of our hearts, would he be praising or would he be uh, finding us guilty for not doing the thing that is expected of us? And I want to encourage us that, uh, that our lives are lived in the light of eternity, but every moment of our, uh, our lives that we live out today, that Jesus is standing at the door and just watching us and he's encouraging us and he's urging us on and, he's, and he wants the, the best in every single one of us. And so what comes out of our mouths is so important. What I found is very helpful for me, what, something very practical is called thought stopping. You stop the negative thought and you speak. At that moment, what you're actually saying, you meditate. That moment you look, at, you look inside and say, Lord, is there something you want to teach me? And then what comes out needs to be that which is good, which is all that you said. So. Well done, uh, well done. I just want us to, this is an area that we, we practice our patience and endurance in waiting for him to come. So there is that just aspect. So, excellent.